right. We are recording. All right. Well, hi, everybody. I am back here now with Manuel Post and Mark Lefebvre. Lefebvre, Lefebvre, close enough, <laughs> with whom I have had the pleasure of having conversation before. Both of them are active on John Verbeke's Discord, and both of them have had um, some um, questions and comments, especially regarding his four P's outline of the ways of knowing. And um, so what we are doing in this conversation is doing a little bit of um, decompression and dissection of uh, the conversations that I have had recently with Paul Vanderclay and John Verbeke. And um, so I'm going to let them say a little bit about themselves briefly, and then we will get into the topic. So Manuel, take it away. Well, I'm uh, hanging out like all day, almost every day on the, on the Discord. And uh, I've been working with Mark on, on, on this idea of the four types of knowing and then relating it to the meaning crisis and possible fixes. So, so that's, that's been one aspect that we've been working on. And then we've been having this other aspect that we've been working on, which is uh, trying to get the discord in, in uh, working with practices and um, the, the Sangha that, that we're, we're trying to keep alive. So we, we, we're trying to, to have communitas <laughs> online and it's really hard. There's a lot of uh, bumps on the road with adherence of, of, of people. And, and yeah, like, and, and I've, I've come into this as, a, as an endpoint of, of, of my depression and like trying to be generative. So, so that's my, my background. And so Mark, you could. Yeah, so um, I'm also on the uh, Awakening from the Meaning Crisis Discord server quite a bit. Um, I should have better things to do, but hey, you know, here we are. And, uh, you know, I came, like most people, through Peterson into Verveke, and I kind of stumbled into his meditation course, which I really liked. Um, and, and then Brett started up this server, and we all went over there, and so we were doing this building of practices, John talks about the practices, and then we're talking about his work while we're doing all these practices and trying to help other people do these practices as a way that they can help themselves. And, you know, we book club and meditation, and we do this group like your Divina practice that we on the server came up with based on John's, you know, John revivified the Lectio Divina. And where, to, as Manuel said, we're working on what we can do about the meaning crisis in the larger frame, right? Like, what do we, what is it, and how do we get here, and how do we get people out of it? And we saw John's four P's model as a way of helping us to understand this. And, you know, again, I'm coming at this as trying to reverse engineer, like, oh, I had a meaning crisis, right? I was, I was homeless and starving and, you know, wandering the streets, living in a car, Right. And then like I got out of all that, like, well, how did that happen? Right. And so I have a good idea of how it happened. I couldn't tell anybody because we didn't have what John gave us, which is this wonderful framework to understand meaning and talk about meaning. It's a science of meaning. That's how I think of it. And so now that we have that, we can work together in communitas to try and and get out of it. And, you, you know, using that model that he gave us, right, that he's that he's put out there, we've uh, 
expanded that and then expanded outward from there to try and get to something that we think might might explain to people how, especially if they're stuck in the scientific frame, we'll say how to find, find sort of a bad word, right? Maybe how to make, how to make meaning, because I think that's maybe more where we're going to end up, right? Or, or establish connection. That's right. Well, that's articulating it. Yeah, the connection part is really important, right? That's what the communitas is all about. But yeah, it's way important. Yeah, it's the key, key component. Okay, so um, I I thought what we might do first is kind of talk about the conversation that we just had, that I just had with John and Paul Vanderclyde, and um, and some of my thoughts subsequent to the conversation, which especially the second conversation is the one that's most on my mind, um, because you guys were particularly interested in when I had proposed the idea of the parabolic knowing and that was the main topic of our conversation the last time that we were talking together so i um i want to come back to my initial proposal on that because there's something that i asked that i think has still never been answered and i you know after we had talked for quite some time um the three of us paul and john and and um john and myself um, especially John and I have been going back and forth and then Paul started talking. And by the time we got to that part of the conversation was nearly an hour in and I was pretty wiped out. I think, I think John and Paul could have gone on for you know, have a lot more energy than I do. And um, there were certain things that I, I, I was sitting back and kind of just more listening to their responses to the things. And I know John was like trying to get me to come back into the conversation. And I was just kind of like, uh, you know, I kind of said what I have to say. I, would to, I was more interested to listen to their responses, which was so extremely helpful because it helped me to see where what I had said initially had not landed where I had hoped it would land. So, so I want to come back to my first thing that I said, which was the question of what the little child knows when the little child puts the silverware on the table and says, she takes the knife and says, daddy, she takes the fork and says, mommy, and she takes the spoon and says, baby. Now, as I listened to John and Paul talk about this, I realized that the way that they were expressing it was not exactly what I was getting at. Because first of all, it wasn't statements. It wasn't a statement like, the knife is daddy, the fork is mommy, the bit. It wasn't that kind of statement, okay? It was just that very simple thing. And then John and, and Paul got into this conversation about whether the little child would accept the fork as a substitute for its mother. You know, that, that was, and the thing was, the fork is not, the child is not seeing the fork as its mother. It's, it's seeing the fork as the mother of the spoon, <laughs> you know, that's what the relationship is. And the child isn't seeing itself as the spoon. The point is that the spoon is a baby in the family construction that the child makes out of the silverware. So I wanted to, I, I still haven't, I wanted to nail down at some point with John when the child does this thing, the child is expressing that it knows something, 
what is it the child knows? Because I don't, be, I didn't believe, I, I still don't believe exactly, you, you know, although I'm sure John can make the case, for that knowledge that the child has that elicits the child doing that, that that fits into his four Ps. But I think the whole reason why I had come up with another kind of knowing was because I didn't feel I'd fit any of the four Ps that John had. Now, John is beginning to be a little more open to the idea that there might be another, there might be another way of knowing. It might be that the four Ps needs to be added to. He's, he's beginning to be open to that. And I think what he expressed in the conversation was eminently reasonable. When he said, you know, you all can make whatever proposals you want to, but for me as a scientist operating in a scientific, in a scientific framework and having to deal with other scientists, whatever I'm gonna lay out, I have to do it in their language and according to their criteria, regardless of what the rest of us might do or not do. So I think that was, that was, very, that was a very useful um, thing, I think, for him to say. I'm not sure that any of us have the cognitive scientist um, you know, framework well enough in our head to be able to express it like that. But, but I see John as being open that if we make a good enough case for it with enough illustrations, that he could figure out a way to set to put it into the framework or put it into that um, that tax, taxonomy that he has if he sees that it's really useful. So and he's not he's he's not um, oblivious to the fact that a good number of people looked at the taxonomy that he had or that he created. Um, and I wouldn't even, I don't even want to say he created it. I want to say the taxonomy is based on observation. Let's put it that way. You know, observation and research. So not so much that he created the taxonomy as that he is, has in a sense discovered these natural um, divisions or categories, right? So, um, so I think he, he is, he is um, not averse to adding to that. And he has listened, he's not oblivious to the fact that everyone, you know, and among all the people who did listen to him lay that taxonomy out, there were a number of people who went, mm, I'm not sure, and I think something's missing. And he's, he's respectful of that, even with the recognition that maybe we don't have the, the language of cognitive science to put it out there in such a way that it's signed, that it's, you know, we're not like we able to write a paper on it or something like that. But he's he's aware that it's, that there is an issue there that people, there may be a real issue there that people are, are seeing. So that's where I am right now. That's That's what I got out of the conversation thinking back on it which I thought was very productive. So what did you guys think? So the first thing that I noticed is you mentioned language, right? And, and the kid is, is using language to express a thing that's deeper than language, 
right? So it it is an associative structure that that needs to be compressed into something that is able to be communicated, right? So so I I think in in the conversation there there has been a lot of confusion about about well what is a story, right? Like is 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 the story the thing that we speak, right? The the thing that we express, or is the the story the thing that is being expressed by the words like what the words are pointing to or trying to to cohere together right and and when when you start thinking in a way and this is what jonathan peugeot does right where where, where you where you're privileging the structure of, of of how things organize in 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 your sense making as opposed to your privileging the logical text or whatever that that someone is is proposing to you, then you can start seeing that. Well, yes, right. That, like there's a different way of, of of relating to reality that that I can participate in, and 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 you you literally participate in it, right? Like, like it it is a participatory act of 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 going through these associations and 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 discovering this space that that wasn't didn't exist to you before and 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 john even has practices that specifically try to engender this right so he, he's he's aware of, of all of this and and i think we're we're making this argument and and i think you you did a really good job where, where you're saying okay right like there's this base structure right and then there's this organization and then from that base structure you get more complex structures and more complex structures and there's a disagreement that I have with with putting relevance realization at the bottom of that structure, because I, I don't I don't think that that bottom can have relevance, right? Like that that bottom can only have adherence to whatever is coming in, whatever signal is coming in, or it's not adhering to it, right? The relevance only happens if you have context, right? So if you if you start combining signals, that's where you, where you start having things that are relevant and things that are irrelevant right so so there's 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 these levels of abstraction that you can go through that ha have implications for for what you're talking about and 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 how they relate and 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 well yeah that, that's that's super messy if, if if you're going through that but but i i think there's emergence there right like there's there's emergence in that structure and john didn't deal with the emergence and uh, I, I also think it's it's wrong to to have the relevance realization there. And then the other thing that we've been talking about is 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 that I I think John is is conflating or I I, I don't want to call him out, but like he's he's using knowledge as as cognition, right? Like so he's coming from the cognitive side and 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 he's he's kind of e e equating the two where where he he's privileging the sense making that we're doing in 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 his structure right and 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 that's a top down thing right like that's like uh, starting from the phenomenology right while what you were doing and the thing that we i and mark were doing is we're trying to get a bottom up okay so what are the structures that we use to have knowledge right so there's a distinction there and and i think that's the cause of a lot of 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 of, of the disconnect that we're having. Okay, um, some of what you say has me a little lost. 
So maybe Mark can translate. <laughs> can you translate Manuel into Mary? <laughs> I can try. Um, <clears throat> Manuel did an excellent job of laying out a bunch of a bunch of little things, right? One one of the so one of the things that 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 John seems to be doing is he's stuffing an awful lot of things in perspectival knowing, which we actually we're keeping for. We're moved perspectival to as more fundamental. And he isn't like that at all, I think, from from when we first pitched it to him. I don't think he was he wasn't happy. Right? He was just really resistant to that. And the reason why we do that is because of the way we define perspectival as the framing. And so if you think about knowledge or even information in formation, well, in order to have a formation, you need to have a structure, a frame. So the frame has to be there for all four types of knowing. So that's why we have the perspectival is something sort of fundamental. Before you get to the knowing, you need a perspective. Otherwise, you don't have the knowledge. And so that would mean that the relevance realization was much further up, right? And as you know, to Manuel's point, we're doing a bottom-up approach here. And that's what you pointed out was this bottom-up approach. Like, what's the relationship? And then when John talks about, when everybody talks about this, but not just John, like everybody talks about this, it's really easy to get confused between the language and the thing. So the description of the thing is not the thing. And when you're talking about when you're talking about things that aren't propositional and procedural, you're using propositions and procedures, right? And so it's hard to get at, like this is why Peugeot is so amazing, right? Because he's able to get the flavor of these things that you can't, that's what that's what these stories do, these deep, when we say they're deep stories, what does that mean? Like propositions aren't deep, but the language permeates everything. And so what 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 we're sort of pointing to is, the the types of knowledge as little pieces of knowledge emerge into something right and that's that's where we're at but that has to happen within this framework and and it's the framework that sort of that sort of matters the most to to us it's like well what is that what because what's broken about that and if the parabolic is the relationship. So John, what John was, one thing that John was doing from my perspective was he was saying, oh no, no, that's mapping. It's like, well, it's not mapping. It's not just mapping. There's different ways to map things. The method of mapping that you're using when you're talking about the relationship of the family of the, of the silverware versus the relationship of the family that the child is in, that's a real relation. That's not a mere mapping, right? Right, and that's what like Paul Vanderclay, like when when John was saying, well, you know, what people are looking at is structural functional, and Paul Vanderclay, he was kind of pondering that, and he goes, I'm not sure how the structural functional stuff operates with the silverware, right? Because there's right. no there there is no structural functional relationship um there it's it's um it's the child is making an analogy you know right. the child is putting the child is putting the silverware into a familiar relationship exactly and so you what know? is that relationship what is the knowledge of that relationship what allows the child to map make the map right like that doesn't make that's, any sense because those are inanimate my, objects right and that was my initial question and then 
so what I had tried to what I had tried to say was, and I wanted to come back to the combinatorially explosive thing, all right, which goes to another conversation that I was having with John. And the reason why I I wanted to talk about the combinatorially explosive nature of the possibilities, because there's a combinatorially explosive number of differences and similarities between the silverware and the child's family, right? And so what is it that enables the child to collapse that? And, and I think um, John was not happy with this expression collapsing the space of possibilities. So I don't know how else to say it, but there's something that it's, you know, it's what he means when he says relevance realization is the is taking that whole space of possibilities and finding the one that you want. Yeah. You know, that's right. what relevance realization is. But he brings out, and I think he's correct, that you cannot have done it by searching all the possibilities. Right. It's not possible for human beings, not impossible for a computer to do it. We have to give them a frame, right? Within which to search. And um, the smaller the frame, the better. Because you're because what you're wanting is to get out of the, you're wanting to get out of the realm of the combinatorial explosion and into a decision. And that was one thing that was interesting about this whole thing of the structure within these geometric structures that are quote unquote built or manifested within the brain as the brain is working that one of the things the scientists one of the scientists at least working on this said that they think that what happens when the structure is built up and then it collapses is that the is that there's been a decision okay that you know this the building of the structure is a kind of processing of information and then and then when the structure collapses basically what happens is that that thing that's firing or that all that that um pattern of firing stops or falls down and then gets built up again that every time that happens there's been a decision on the part within the brain and um and so that would follow along with this idea of, you know, that's that what's happening is the reduction of that combinatorial explosive possibility. Right. So, so the way I'm looking at it is, is differently, because if you're going bottom up, right, and, and we're, we're working under the assumption that there's uh, invariant patterns in, in the world, right? And we, we're trying to understand the world by relating to these invariant patterns, right? So if you if you consider this this structure in your mind as uh, something that is reacting to one of those invariant patterns, you you can see that if if there's coherence to that pattern then you might have that decision, right? Like, yes, that's one, right? And then you can go up a level of complexity, right? And then you can 
add two patterns together and you can go up a level of complexity. We, we don't even need to know how many layers there are. That's irrelevant. But but what, what is relevant is is that if if you if you have a limited set of invariant patterns, then you necessarily reduce the combinatorially explosion. And if 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 what what we do is is we we refine our relationship with, with those invariant patterns over time, right? Like we 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 we're pruning the the parts that are, are are not relevant, right, or shouldn't be relevant, then then you you get a better coherence to what's happening outside of you, right? And I I call that your truth, right? Like so, you, the the truth in you and reality are more coherent, and then then that's reducing the combinatorial explosion. But I also want to relate this to anxiety, right? So if there's a better co coherence to to the world then you're less anxious because there's less less stuff that's not fitting in in your relationship with the world um yeah so i, I don't know how that helps you that is that is good okay that is making a lot of sense to me i like what you said if there are if there are these invariant patterns that are manifested at different levels then that's already reducing the possibility space right and and it's as and if the patterns are inside of us as well as outside like i would use the example one that i kind of fall back on a lot is masculine and feminine right and the archetypes being within us of both the masculine and feminine so i um <laughs> i drive feminists insane by saying things like i know that my intellect is masculine um no 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 because <laughs> they think i'm saying women are stupid as soon as i say that no all, all women their intellect is masculine you know women the, the intellect is masculine period <laughs> you know and um and that's why you have so many, by the way, why you have so many women of high achievement who were extremely close to their fathers and were mentored by their fathers because they have, um, in a sense, downloaded their father's intellect into them, into themselves. But, um, but anyway, you know, I'm constantly thinking about this pattern being in the world, this masculine and feminine, it's in us and it's in the world. How insane do people go when they try to break that pattern in themselves or in the world or try or break it in themselves and then try to manifest that broken thing into the world? It's like it's all around us now the the how how insane things get and how anxious people get. I mean, everybody's anxious, you know. The, the women are full of anxiety. Women are so unhappy. I mean, every survey shows women get, are, ever since the feminist revolution or the you know, third wave feminism or whatever the heck wave they're on now, I have no idea, that, that ever since like the seven, 1960s, 70s, women have become more and more unhappy, you know? And men are more and more unhappy and men are more and more anxious and have no idea what to do with themselves in relation to women. And so there's an example of a pattern, but if you have the 
if you have if you recognize the patterns invariant, but yet you're able to recognize a certain flexibility within the pattern so that you're not you're not bringing down some sort of rigid something that's so rigid that it allows for new creativity and you don't and you and you get rid of the edges like jonathan pajot says we got to have the edges you know you got to have the fringes on the fringe then then if you do that then you have a structure that people can be saying in you know um that's, yeah, I think, i'm trying I think to that's give an really example important. of what you're talking about yeah that's that's really important i think it's, it's one of the things we've been on about recently is part of the difference i think in the way that john conceives of the model and what we've done for our conception because again we're coming at it differently right we we arrived at this separately and i went you know and there was a lot of people andre was involved emmanuel was involved a bunch of people on our on our discord helped right in in so many ways it's you know it's impossible to sort it all out right everybody was so involved with this i said oh wait a minute this is the parabolic we arrived at the name and then i went Mary Cohen did a video about this, right? And so, so our, you know, but but the reason why we came at this is our conception is completely different about the four Ps in some sense. Where, you know, and we talked about this last time, and I'm trying to get better at explaining it, I guess, right? So the 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 propositional, those are the things. And I know John made one move that I really didn't like in that last talk, right? Where he he, he said, well, the propositions tell you how to relate to them. And I was like, oh, I don't think that's true. I mean, maybe he's right. He's John. He's brilliant. But like that sounds to me like the is-ought problem. Like, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like he's saying, well, this thing is a thing, therefore, right? And and that's different. And maybe he meant this. Maybe that's different from saying it's constrained. Things are constrained, but that doesn't tell you what to do with them, Right. Like the Jordan Peterson in the field doesn't tell you how to walk across it thing, right? And so I don't know if John is making the isot problem, you know, is making the isot mistake when he thinks about propositions, but we think of them as just things. And then maybe, maybe, and maybe the things do have relationships built in. It really doesn't matter to me in some sense. The important part is it's the procedural that allows you to manipulate or navigate the things and it's this navigation that's really important if you have things and then you have navigation on one side of the brain and that's one type of processing and then you have participation which you know isn't a thing but it kind of is a thing right you could recast it that way to use programming jargon but hopefully that works is right it a doing it's a doing right participation sure it's the doing yeah it's a verb right it's a very verb thing and then what is navigating that? What tells you, like your participation is already limited in whatever, like maybe physical participation, you're limited by your body, right? And maybe it's conversational participation, you're limited by, you know, the sounds you can make, which you know, happened when you grew up, whatever, like that gets crazy. But what limits you when you meet a person, right? Like, what do you do when you meet a new person? Like, how do you know what to do? Oh, well, you follow a pattern. Right, and these are culturally constructed patterns, maybe, right, sure, but that pattern reduces the complexity, the combinatorial explosion that would happen from open participation. If it was just open participation, you could do anything, you'd punch them in the face, you could, you know, 
you could you, well, you could do the bonobo thing, right? We all know what bonobos do when they meet each other, right? So so like there's lots of things you could do, but like it's not clear to me how you know what to do and why you're constrained by the things that you're constrained by. And if it's those invariant patterns that are holding back the participatory combinatorial explosion, you know, and that makes sense if it's two sides of the brain and you think about, well, propositions, there's an infinite number of propositions. What constrains the propositions and what you can do with them? The procedures, right? There's a constraint there. It's a linear relationship. Procedures linearly constrain propositions, you know, but the parabolic is literally not linear, right? It's a non-linear constraint. So it's a pattern that allows you to constrain your participation. So you don't just go nuts. And, you know, like if, if somebody meets you and says, you know, hi, my name is Mark. What is your name? Ah, right. Then you're going to, you're going to freak out, right? Because it's out of the pattern, right? And, and, and that happens, but it, it's very jarring. Well, why would that be jarring? There's an infinite number of part ways to participate, right? So it, it must be jarring because it's out of the pattern. Well, how do we know to get jarred by that? Like what, what, what is it? Like, what is it about the, the lion sneaking up on us in the savannah that we go, oh, I know what this, what's going to happen next, right? That's, a, that's part of a pattern. And then, it, you know, in our new, our new sort of understanding, we're, we're, we're constantly trying to get it. One, one of the explanations that seemed to work really well was Jordan Peterson goes into this whole thing about Pinocchio, right? And when he starts out the Pinocchio thing, he goes, why do you care about Pinocchio? And this is one of the things, a lot of what Jordan said, I was like, oh yeah, I'm right on board with this. This seems, this seems sort of obvious, right? I was like, yeah, this totally makes sense. I see where he's going. This is one of the things that really got me. I mean, it really stopped me dead in my tracks. He said, why do you care about this? First of all, it's a cartoon. Like, you can't relate to a cartoon. You're not a cartoon. You're not drawn. Like, in my case, I can't even draw. Like, I really can't relate to cartoons. I couldn't draw one if I wanted to. It's a cartoon about a wooden boy, and then he comes to life. Like, how can I relate to that in my life? I, 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 I've been alive as long as I know, right? Like, <laughs> coming to life, I, I don't have any wooden boys. I've never met a wooden boy. I wouldn't know a wooden boy if it bit me on the ass, right? Like, I, how do I relate to this? And, you know, he goes on, and there's a talking cricket, and he goes into the belly of the whale and saves his father. Why do you care about any of this? And it's like, why do I care about any of this? Why do I understand this story? Like, what is that? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, if propositionally and procedurally, there's no reason for you to watch Pinocchio. There's no reason for you to understand Pinocchio. And there's no reason for the creators to create Pinocchio. That You're not going to explain that using those tools, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's some kind of participation going on in the story, to get back to narrative, right? And then the patterns that we're mapping, we are mapping, but they're the pat we're mapping the patterns, the patterns of the parabolic, not the mapping. The mapping is just an operation that, yeah, to John's point, we map things all the time. We map procedures to propositions all the time, right? But there's patterns that we're mapping in this case, and that helps us to participate in the story. And those are probably pre-verbal too. Like I don't, I think, uh, I know we had a little email exchange back and forth with John was nice enough to put me on which I, I was I'm very grateful for um but you know I pointed out that the bees dance to tell each other where that this is Sally Joe came up with this and she just had a talk with Paul um but she came up with it she's like bees dance and I was like yeah the bee dance to tell the other bees where the food is like and there's got to be variations in that because bees have bodies and they're imperfect creatures and so how do you recognize that 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 
set of directions. I, you know, that, that seems like they're invariant patterns. And then maybe they're not big patterns, maybe they're little patterns. And we put them together to form structures, but also to make relationships, right? Structures are all about how things are in relation to one another. And then you can imagine that if you're doing something like deconstruction and you say, well, I want the world to work a certain way. And these narratives are in my way. They're, they're a problem. What if the narratives are reflected to, to Manuel's earlier point of a, of a, of a deeper reality and, and, and emanation, I think John would, would, might, might, might agree with that. There's an emanation there, that, that a coherence within reality that we're sort of sticking to or, or, or like finding or, or just sort of attracted to or whatever. And then those form the structures of the world, right? With, whether it be, you know, capitalism or, or you know, religion or whatever, there's all these patterns tied up in that. And then when you strike down at that, what's happening is you're deconstructing that. But the side effect of deconstructing that is that you're also deconstructing participation with people, right? Because participation is participation. Participation with structures is, you know, to Peterson's point, the room tells you what to do when you get in the room. You know when you get in the classroom, the professor is going to be there at the podium. I'm going to sit here in this part, right? And, and, and that's how it works. And then it tells you what to pay attention to so you don't look at the floor tiles all day or the ceiling all day, right? You pay attention to the podium. It's aimed in that direction, right? Those, but when you break down that pattern, you're also, when you do that, you're also breaking down your ability to have a classroom, right? Because you're, 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 you're deconstructing the parabolic the, the structures that are made up of these little parabolic invariant patterns. And that's causing you not to know how to interact with people anymore. And that seems to be what's happening with the meaning crisis. So I think that's vitally important. It's all part of the same thing. This combinatorial explosion problem gets solved by the parabolic, but it creates structures. And if you're an anti-structuralist or you just don't like a particular structure and you strike at that, you're gonna cause chaos. Because now people don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to cohere. They don't know how to participate with each other. They can't understand the stories. So to, to, to add on that, right, like science has given us amazing tools to, to control and manipulate reality, right? So what, what science does is, is it gives us like a recipe. Like if you do this, then you can achieve this. And, and people start making sense of the world through that, right? So that's, that's a procedural and propositional way of, of navigating the world right and and that lacks any type of participation and and when you when you start like believing right or or maybe because you're anxious right like you you, you need to have this 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 control over over reality in in order to feel safe when when, when you're in that space you're, you're gonna you're gonna use inappropriate ways of, of navigating the space right and then you're going to decohere more because you're going to have ne negative feedback and you're going to collapse in this anxious prison that you're creating for yourself because there's there's no participation anymore right so so we're also connecting this, this participation to to ethics right like so, so you, you need ethics to participate like if, if if you don't if you don't have a way to to make value judgments and and all of these things, then then you're just trapped. You you're just trapped in in in. Oh, if someone does this, then that is 
a transgression of this rule. Like, and then we we need to go to the teacher and complain or whatever, right? And, and I think this is actually literally the trap that Jesus warned us about, right? Like, don't don't get stuck up in the law, live in the spirit. Now, what you were, what you said, what you both said, reminded me of a couple of things. So, when you were talking about Pinocchio, um, it reminded me of the story of the Little Prince. Did you ever read the Little Prince? No, I did not. Okay, so the Little Prince is it's one of these stories that's ostensibly a child story, um, and it um, it's about somebody who crashes in the desert in a plane and then gets met by something that is from another planet and the little it's a little child um it's a little child it's a little prince from another planet and um the little as the person is working on their plane the little prince is having conversation and telling stories about his life and his adventures and where he's been and what he's done and the little prince is quite distressed about something. And it turns out that finally, towards the climax of the story, he tells a story about this rose that he planted that is on an asteroid somewhere. And he's supposed to be taking care of it. And there is also a sheep on the planet. And how, I guess, my memory of it is vague, but it's something about how he has to get back to the, the asteroid and take care of this rose or the sheep is going to eat it. And he's, you know, there's this whole distressing thing going on. And, um, and at some point in the story, there's just this statement and, you know, you get caught up in the story and everything. And then there's this statement to the effect of, you now care about a rose on an asteroid and whether a sheep is gonna eat it or not. <laughs> you know, you right. care because you have read the story, you know, you care. It's, I mean, the audience is addressed. You now care about this thing. And and it's like you go, yeah, I do. And why? You know, it's the same question about the Pinocchio thing, right? And um, and there was something else that it reminded me. Oh, I know what it is. When John did his lecture where he explained about um, the small world networks, you know, the the. Um, the whole stuff that I went into at the beginning of the thing, the lecture that he did with that, where he used the example of the hourglass and the the pile of um, sand in the hourglass. And he said, there is no elf in the hourglass. He said that, you know, no elf that's piling up the sand. And I went down in the comments underneath and I said, oh, but think about the elf in the hourglass. Think about how he's, you know, he's piling that sand up and and just when he gets it in a nice pile, it falls down and collapses. And he he's so frustrated, he stomps his little foot and he begins piling it up again. This time it's even going higher. And I said, and then he's he's so delighted that he's finally got it higher and it falls down again. And he stomps his foot and he curses and he tears his hair and he starts all over again to build it up. And I said, he is a tiny Sisyphus working on this working on this pile of sand and then i said and you will never look at an hourglass the same right. <laughs> and somebody wrote underneath and said this was a transformative comment 
Yeah, and what causes that transformation? Yeah. Yeah, it's because now it's like all of a sudden we put it in this in a story. I mean, I just put it in an imaginable story because I was just really messing with John when he says there's no elf in the hourglass. I'm like, well, I'll put an elf in that hourglass. <laughs> yeah, and what did you know to cause that transformation? What knowledge caused <laughs> that transformation? What type of knowing is that? <laughs> you know, um, so because it's kind of like, it's kind of like it's in a way it's a i don't know i almost want to call it primitive or ancient or something but it almost is the way that i it almost is the way that i see the world but it is the way that children see the world you know things are alive and things are all around doing things and it's the way that we see the world too when we're not pretending to be grown-ups so it's when you start when you you know when you hit your toe on the door and you and you kick it you know <laughs> it's that it's that sort of thing or what was it when uh, jordan peterson was in a conversation with someone and taught taught uh, i think it was matt dillahunty talking about the lawnmower you know and you taught you're yelling at your lawnmower <laughs> You know, what are you doing? Why are you yelling? I bet you, I bet you yell at your lawnmower. I think he said to Magellanti, I bet you yell at your lawnmower. Right. Yeah, yeah. because, um, because to us, the whole world is alive. And so the scientist wants to come along and say, well, we can't prove that everything is alive by means of science. It's not really alive. You're just imagining it as alive. And it's like, all right, you know, that's in science, but you know it's every story and our lives are not like that so i i don't know if we come to an impasse with the science or at some point i don't know what the what the you know what the cross pollination has to be i mean i always say john's cross pollinated us because we're talking about his stuff all of the time right and um but I, but I'm not, I'm not willing, I'm not willing to give up the sense of a, being in a living world and of, and of rooting for the sand grains out of the hourglass that they don't fall. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> you know, that makes Right. So, so this is what Mark said, right? Deconstruction ruins participation. Right. So what you're doing when you're looking at the sand glass is you're participating in the sand falling. And when you're like, oh, yeah, there's there's this building of, of criticality and then it will like collapse. Right. Like you can't participate anymore. Like when, when you're looking that way. And, and I think I think that they're like orthogonal ways of, of, of relating to the situation. So if you're in the one mode, you, you cannot get access to the other mode, right? So, and I think John recognizes this where he, he he's, he's having this practice of prajna where, where, where you're relating to the mourners and then to the suchness and to the mourners and to the suchness, right? So what, what, what he's trying to do is he's trying to, to get you to alternate between those two perspectives really fast, right? And, and I, I think he's, he's correct. That if, if, you, if, if you're able to do that, then, 
you're more adaptive to situations, right? Because like both both the deconstruction and the participation are highly relevant, right? But but we we need to find a way to to use the right tool at the right time, right? And 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 that's kind of the project that me and Mark are, are embarked upon. Like how how do you how do you navigate that? Right. Yeah. And this is I think this is limited this is a limitation that John actually has is that you know, very early on in the awakening from the meaning crisis, uh, he throws out two worlds mythology. He said, we can't live there anymore. And it's funny, I asked, uh, Paul Vanderclay was on the awakening from the meaning crisis discord. He was nice enough to do a Q&A with us. So I asked him, I said, Paul, what do you think about this? Can't live in the two worlds mythology. Cause I think that's like, I'm not sure that's true. It's a great axiomatic statement and I'm happy to, you know, entertain it. Like, and you should be like, you should take axioms that you disagree with and sort of, you know, go along with them and see where it leads. But the more I look at it, the less I think that's an option for us. And because he's built it on that premise, like, oh, no, 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 we have to be all on one side of the two worlds mythology, um, which is the objective world, I assume, or something like it. Um, and, And then he's reconstructing from that premise. I think that's a deep mistake. I think, I think it's possible that maybe maybe it's a it's a it's a continuum it's a line right and then on one side are the things that are real that we basically can't manipulate fully like we don't we have less and less control the more real something gets and we have more control the less real something gets in in sense of the real world and then i like i hate to use natural and supernatural but it's probably the best terms we have if you just think of them on a line instead and they blend into one another as we get more into our heads we have full control this is what the stoics talk about right like don't worry about what happens to you worry about your relationship to what happens to you which is an interesting way to think about the world and stoicism doesn't fix the problem we'll say because the Stoics had a had a, a a religious belief. They just didn't write about it because, well, everybody has one of those. Who cares, right? To, from their eyes, so they didn't really talk about their religious beliefs. But but they seem to have had belief in gods or whatever. And then uh, relating to things differently worked perfect in that case. But if you remove the belief, whatever belief, whatever religious belief you have, then Stoicism people don't cohere to it for very long, or it doesn't work very well. Like Stoicism is terrible if you have children, like. It just doesn't work very well, right? Because you can control your reactions to things, but you can't control everybody else's reactions to things. So you're you're sign of too far into the realm where you have total control. And 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 when you try to go too far out, or or if you equivocate and you think, oh, we have total control over this thing at this time, therefore we have total control over everything, which I think is what science is doing, and sort of assuming more and more control. Than, than it has, than it can actually have in the world. And it just keeps growing and saying, no, no, we can control this, we can control that. We can control government. I think government's emergent, right? I think we can control capitalism. I think the economy is an emergent property. I don't think you could have any idea what you're doing when you try to control an economy. Like I just don't, and all the evidence is, we have no idea what we're doing when we try to control it. We can't just say, you know what? This capitalism thing isn't working out. I'm gonna swap it out for something else. It's not an engine in a car. Like that's not how it works. And so when we draw those relationships inappropriately, we believe we have these godlike powers that that we apparently like like the, the jury's in. Like we can't manipulate the economy. We couldn't even, 
prevent a, a small crash in the housing market, which you could argue is not small, but like it really is. The economy is huge, right? And there's so much of the economy that doesn't involve money transfer, right? It's the guy down the street who has extra eggs who gives them to you for free, right? The economy is the 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 thing you do when you you know when you do something nice for somebody or help them work on a project, right? That all of that is part of economy in some sense, yeah. and and so. It's, it's interesting that we're trying to control these things that are so much bigger than us. I mean, it, it might be that something like the economy is a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. And if that's true, then we're not going to change it by changing the parts. Like, that's not going to happen. It's already emergent. Right. Well, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Luke Thompson. Yes. He's not, okay. Like, he would call us everything that you said about this driving for control. The technological babel, right? Yes. The power of babel yep. um, that um, they built. And I, it's funny because I was just going over um, the, some of these early Bible stories with my grandkids. I was talking to them just about that, you know, about it's a matter of because, um, you know, I, I tell them this, these stories are not just about what happened. They're about what always happens. People try to get control. They're going to grab all these other people. They're going to control them. They're going to make them work for them. They're going to build this thing. And it's always going to fail because you can't do that with people. God said, you know, scatter, go, go, go off, go off in different directions and go find your different niches in all the different um, environments that humans are, can creatively live in. And, and somebody's always going to come along and go, if I can just collect all of you together and get you to do exactly what I say, then everything's going to be all right. <laughs> and it's all, it never works. It always ends up in a disaster. But um, that's what you're describing to me. When, I, when, you, when you say that, I'm, I'm hearing Luke go, that's technological babel, you know, trying to build that tower. Um, so that is, you know, that's definitely definitely an issue i think in the two worlds of mythology i had a hard time grasping that um you know the idea i think is if i understand it correctly and some of the barfield stuff i think is helping me get a little more of a handle on it what you know that ancient people did not think there were that that there were two worlds it was a continuous cosmos right and it's it's you know it's only more recently what is it i don't know if it's since the enlightenment maybe that it broke we have this idea that over here is there's this world and over here there's this one and it's it comes into like the science faith thing and all of that that there's you know there's the natural and there's the supernatural and it's this division it's like the two things are not part of one world and so what it does is it creates um like we have to we have to operate in the world with these split personalities or the two eyes like paul vanderclay will do the, the thing with the two eyes that we're that that's how we're we're supposed to try to navigate and um um you know we so what we have to do now i think our task is to put the world back together and in doing so to put ourselves back together and put ourselves together with the world you know to to live in the world as as
as a, you know, it's amazing to me that in a time when people seem to be so like, oh, the environment, the earth, when we're so worried, concerned about the planet, blah, blah, blah. People have never been more disconnected from anything that has to do with, you know, nature for real. You know, um, they don't work in it. They don't touch it. They don't have any understanding. I mean, you have people going around saying, well, cow farts are, you know, messing up the atmosphere. And, um, and you know, we don't, we can, uh, you know, you've got this plan. There actually is a plan on paper to whoa, eliminate animal agriculture by 2040. You know, it's like you that that something like that can only be put into words by someone who has no idea of how nature operates at all. Right. So, you know, yeah. that's I think that's kind of like our task. How do we get the connections, get the connections back? Yeah, so, I had a I had an interesting thought today actually uh and i said you know what if consumerism is an attempt to sort of make up for the loss of renewal or maybe revivification that we used to get from working the earth like what if what if that's what we're doing like we're constantly interacting with things you know as a consumer because we're no longer constantly interacting with the earth and we need that sense. But then, you know, in some sense, that's a small corruption. Maybe, maybe it's not a, maybe it's not a small corruption, but maybe it's only a small corruption. I don't know. But, but what if that's what we're doing? We're swapping out consumerism because we, we don't, we're not in the, you know, in the garden every day. Right. Yeah. And what is like, what is consumerism? Is it, is it a belief that we have to keep buying things to make us that buying things makes happiness? Is that well, what John has an amazing term for that, and that's modal confusion, right? Modal so, confusion, right? Right. Yeah. So he's he's describing this idea that in I want to be a thing, right? Like happy. And in order to be happy, I need to have this thing, right? But like the Stoics identified, the happiness is in your relationship, right? Like it's in your connectedness to a thing. Like, so, so you, in Africa, you see it all the time. You see the, these children, they have these crappy toys and they're like amazingly enthralled with them, right? And like, if, if you would give that to a, a, a kid in the modern world, like they would like throw it away because what do you do with this this wires and like no i want to have my my race car right so so the, the level of connection there is the thing that's important right that's imbuing the value in the thing and and not having the realization that that that's the thing that's important you you, you need to replace it right because like okay a new thing has has the exploration part in it right like i i had i i have this really strongly in myself right like i can engage with a thing but after like three weeks i get bored like everything gets boring to me because i figure out how it works and it's like all all all, all the shine is gone and and i i have to move on because i i can no longer relate right and 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 not never getting the realization that there's a different way of 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 engagement with with the same thing 
like if, if you never make that connection for yourself you're never going to get there and I, I think a lot of people are stuck but you'd never be like that with a dog you wouldn't have maybe a dog. but i don't have you a dog. Ha huh <laughs> yeah maybe, maybe and that's maybe, maybe the reason are. i don't have a dog and and yes right and and but maybe i mean have you ever had a dog? dog no like i think people are like that with their children like that happens people are addicted to gaming and then the kid is a annoying distraction like i'm here i need to pay attention to this screen like don't start crying like that happens all the time yeah yeah it's really it's really scary and it is that is about relation and modal confusion is definitely about this relation but the fact that there's modal confusion to me indicates that there are two worlds and i think manuel's right like like they're mutually exclusive right you're either in having mode or being mode and maybe you have to switch between them whatever but you're not getting both at the same time and and that is about what kind of relation you have and maybe if you have a procedural relationship with something you're treating it as a proposition and you're in having mode and maybe if you have a being mode relationship with something you're participating with it right by using these invariant patterns these parabolic patterns right and 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 that makes a lot more sense for a lot of things because one thing that i've been imagining lately um and, and that I've been bouncing off the, you know, all the folks that we work with and some folks on Bridges of Meaning, they're nice enough to ask me, you know, questions like, yeah, your explanation sucks, like try again, right? And <laughs> <laughs> so it's very helpful, right? It's very helpful. Like they, they, they're like, oh, I don't want to impose upon you. I'm like, no, no, impose. Like I have to get better at this, right? We all do. Manuel's getting really good at it, actually. Um, you know, if, 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 if you're stuck in a procedural and propositional way of thinking you're inevitably going to create a closed loop world it's just going to be closed because you're going to know everything in it or everything in it's going to be knowable maybe you don't know it but you know you could if you wanted to it's like well i could if i wanted to but then there's no reason to right and then you know how to navigate it so it's very safe like oh you know where the bounds are because it's a bounded world and it's you know you know how to navigate it because you've got these procedures and that's all well and good but everything in that world is a zero-sum game. It has to be because it's a closed world. So definitionally, it's a zero-sum game. So you might think, well, you know what? I should have more stuff. And that guy has more stuff than me, but it's a closed world. So there's no reason for him to have more stuff than me. So he should give me some of his stuff. And that'll even out the world, and then I'll feel better. Because having stuff is, is, is happiness, to Manuel's point, right? And it's like, well, that's weird because a lot of people seem to be doing that, right? right? But I think the the okay. So you there's there's stuff. I mean, you can have stuff, but I think in the older conception of things, this is going to sound weird, but you make the stuff happy. Okay, so right. let me let me go get something. Right. Can you stay here okay. for a minute? I'm going to go get of something course. and show you something. All right. Sounds good. Well, I'm I'm already excited. <laughs> We're getting a show here. <laughs> it looks like a puppet show with the curtain in the back, anyway. So okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's gonna roll up any minute now. <laughs> we get, we're gonna get to participate. <laughs> yes. Uh,
Yeah, we should have been born before this, so we we would have a script that we could. I know we need a we need a script. Yeah. So, so, so people are gonna need to leave a comment so we can like figure out whether these, these dialogues are like good for our, our, our upcoming show. That's never gonna happen anyway. <laughs> okay, so I gotta show you something. Okay. All right. So I gotta show you something that's gonna look kind of silly. All right. So see this. This is a little figurine. Mm. Comes from Italy, actually. Okay. Is part of a. There's also a boy man yeah okay so they come from italy and they're part of a whole bunch of italian pottery that i have all over my kitchen all right so what i'm going to say is that of course it's made of clay but i'm going to tell you that the clay is happier because somebody made it into something that is delighted delighted a human being right okay so they actually did not have any, <laughs> they didn't have heads. <laughs> they're flat because they're actually made to be candle holders, but this is not a candle, this is just a dowel. So what I did is I took a dowel and I stuck it in and I took a ball of aluminum foil and I put it on and then I gave them hats. And I'm gonna tell you that, I'm gonna tell you that they're happier. They're much happier having hats than being embarrassed by having flat heads i'm telling you that the that the that the clay that they're made of is happier now and now they're happier because they have hats that's not the end of it okay so they sit on a shelf in my kitchen my daughter went to savannah okay and when my daughter was in savannah she bought something for me she came back with these do you know what these are these are little turtles they're made out of shells she bought me two little turtles so that the little clay figurines can have pets. <laughs> so they sit on the shelf in my kitchen with their hats and now with their little turtle pets next to them with their little hats on. Okay. And, and I'm going to tell you that these shells are happier because they were probably, I think these are called cowrie shells. I think they, these shells were happy when they were part of the cowrie, right? I think they were happy, but they're happier now because they're pets for the little people, my little ceramic people, all right? Because we're supposed, this is, you know, I was talking to John about humans being priests, like we bring everything up into, we bring the, like this, the clay that these once were is happier now than than it was and they're happier with the hats and now they're even happier because they have the little shell pets and we make we make everything happy mm. that's the meaning of the happiness is the is the it's not just it's like the lifting of things up to the higher level the bringing them into our life is their happiness and the happiness that they give to us is their happiness too. And it's like an arrow pointing up with everything. You know, the, the, um, the plants are happy that they are taken up into the life of the animals and the animals are made happy 
and being taken up into the human life. And then the human is made happy, be taken up into the life of God. It's an arrow pointing up all the way, right? Mm. So that's, that's the, that's more the ancient vision of the world and of our place in it is, is that. That's how I see, that's how I see things. <laughs> does that, right. does that right. mean, so when you talk about like, what brought me to think about this was what you said about um, the consumerism, you know? So like, I would never take these little people and, and say, oh, I'm tired of looking at you, I'll trade you for something else. <laughs> That would be so wrong. <laughs> right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, if 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 you, you know, I'm contented with the things that I have because, you know, if they're if if I if I don't have to constantly get something new. Because I because the thing is been made happy with me already. But if you never have this attitude, if you never understand this bringing things up into this happiness, then you're always, I guess, going to be, you know, searching for the new, the new, the new. Right. But anyway, that's just, that's what came so, to mind when you were talking about the. <laughs> so what, what that brought to my mind is, is, is you're describing co-creation there, right? You're, you're a co-creator with with God in the universe at that moment and yeah like mark has has this this idea that that the co-creation like participation is co-creation so so when 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 we're participating we're imbuing the thing with with ourselves in in, in, in the transjective relationship that Rebecca talks about Right. But it's going the other way too, right? And that's the thing is that if you think about being stuck in the propositional and procedural, which can be very useful because they're useful tools to use. But if you're stuck there, you have a closed world. And if you have a closed world, you have no reason to do anything. And you have no, and, and everything's a zero sum game. So yeah, you should have as much as the next guy because it's a zero sum game. But if you, but, but, but the loss that, that you suffer for being in that world is you can't participate and participation is creation. And when you put hats on these clay things that were already imbued with happiness, they imbue you with happiness too. It's a two way street like John talks about with transjective, right? So you shouldn't have too much problem understanding this hopefully, right? And But, but that's all about participation. And then how do we know how to participate in a way that does that? Those are the parabolic, invariant patterns and so when you but when you lose that you can't open the world up you can't co-create you can't make things valuable and you can't have a sense of meaning because there's no meaning in traveling a closed world right like like there's no meaning in a video game to, you just get to the end and you're done right i mean this is john's concept of telic he talks about and then paratelic well paratelic would be part of participating in the invariant patterns because if you're just participating randomly you're you know you're insane basically right you have a madness this is how we describe it but if you're 
participating in a way that other people see and can and can cohere to why can people participate together because they're following invariant patterns of participation right right it's like handshake well but it's bowing but but there is a thing it's still a pattern right the details are different but the patterns there and what the pattern does is it opens up that world to possibility right so now there's a possibility and if you can imagine this is one of the concepts we've come up with as a result of modifying the four p's we stand on a, a, a ground of history historical grounding and there may be other types of grounding but there's certainly historical grounding and what we're doing is we're aiming into the future like we're aiming at something and the reason why we're not aiming at the ground is because we know from history the things that have worked that we don't want to destroy. And right. if you destroy the things in history that have worked, I mean, this is a very evolutionary sort of thought, right? Like evolution did all these things that worked and like, why would you destroy that? They seem to have worked for thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, who knows how many years, right? So don't destroy that. When we stop talking about history, when we stop understanding history correctly, we destroy it. And then we, if we aim down, we're gonna aim the thing that we're standing on. But what we want to do is we want to aim up toward the highest thing. And then we shoot our arrow. We, we pull back the bow in intention, right? Which means we intend to do work and there's tension and we're going right. to we're gonna put that into action, that potential into action. We're going to shoot for the sun, the highest star, right? Whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Peterson's like North Star type of guy, right? That, that goes through the realm of transformative coupling right so you go you're standing on the ground on historical grounding right you're drawing your bow back in intention you're aiming for the highest thing that arrow that intent that you send out there is going through the realm of transformative coupling and that's that's making you coherent with your past and your future in the present moment and those are all invariant patterns. And the way we build all that is with invariant patterns. That's how we participate in the process of co-creating the meaning that works for us. Because a lot of this stuff, like, like the Tower of Babel thing that you were talking about, the interesting thing about that is, if you think about it carefully, what it's saying is, don't try to control evolution. Don't try to 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 kill diversity in the in the population right you can you can get people together you can give them a false aim we'll say but if they don't have their own aim then they're all going to go for one thing and you're going to be very fragile right but what you want to be in evolution is anti-fragile to 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 use nasim taleb's term you want to be going out in different directions aiming roughly to the same thing but from different places so that if some of you get wiped out because the meteor hit right where the tower of babel was being built evolution continues so it's a very like it's 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 really like right in the bible the way bible people live they live in concert with evolutionary theory and from my mind the evolutionary theorists who are atheists tend to invoke intelligent design everywhere they talk about it constantly, like, well, we know what evolution's right. doing, and we're going to control evolution. It's like, dude, that's Tower of Babel. Like, you're not exactly. following evolution exactly. if you think you're going to control it. That's crazy talk. Yeah. And then when you talk about the doing the having the aim for something higher, 
and moving toward it, um, you know, this operates on micro and macro level. So you think, why was it that my daughter went to Savannah, saw these little shell things with the hats and thought, oh, this would delight my mom. I will take this to my mom and say, you know, I've got little pets for your figurines, you know, because she just knew that I would laugh when I saw this and I would think it was so cute and put it on the shelf with them. And so she, so what has she done? Just like in that action, you know, she reinforced our relationship and she showed, I see that you delight in this, so I will increase your delight. And in doing so, I will, you know, increase our, our, the strength of our relationship. I'm aiming at that good thing. So it's a small, it's a real tiny thing, but it's something I see every day that reminds me, right? And makes me smile. And so um, it's a tiny thing, but it's like, if we do all these tiny things, these tiny little acts like that are the fractal pattern of the big pattern that we're supposed to be aiming at, that we should be aiming at, right? Right, that is, right. That is, um, you know, just improving the happiness of the world, but it's the whole world happiness, including the clay. That's why I keep saying it's like all the levels have to be brought, have to be brought up. You know, right. maybe that's the thing that the consumerism is lacking. Maybe because maybe because things are just mass produced and mass produced and mass produced, and they don't have any kind of individuality to right. them. Right. Can't, you can't participate with with those things, right? But also, you're not in relation to the earth anymore. You're not you're not like out in the garden. You're not like getting your own food, right? And 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 so you're missing that feedback from the world. And that's maybe what you're what you're seeking with, you know, with the consumerism is is to get that feedback. I know Jonathan Peugeot talks about these, you know, these patterns recurring at all levels of reality all the time, right? Well, as far as I'm concerned, all Jonathan Peugeot is doing you know, like not to denigrate it. I mean, it's amazing. I can't do it, right? All he's really doing is he's explaining the parabolic, right? He's explaining the invariant patterns. And when he talks about levels of reality, I like to think of it as these patterns exist in all dimensions, right? All the dimensions that we're aware of and across time. So, you know, they're, they're, they're going both, right? They're, they're huge in, in some sense. And then it's interesting that you use that triangle example. I don't know if you realized when you use the triangle example in the talk with John, the, the, doing that over and over again is a fractal pattern or, or a precursor to a fractal pattern called the Sierpinski triangle, I think. Um, I think that's what it's called, if my memory is serving me. But yeah, it's these fractal patterns that show up. And then these small pieces of the fractal pattern are the parabolic like that's and it's when the relationship is correct that a we can build things like like you can't just you can't just throw wood into a pile and a house appears the wood has to be in right relation to use john's terms in order to become a house like it just has to right and all these things need to be in right relationship and that's what we're talking about with these invariant patterns there's patterns you have to put them together they have to be put together correctly those relationships create structures, but there are some structures that aren't that aren't made of of propositions and objects. They're made of personal relationships. They're made of emotional connections, right? They're made of of friendship. Like friendship is a thing, 
right? Even though it's not a thing as, you know, we can't grab it, right? We can't see it, but it's a thing. And how does that work? It's a structure. What's the structure of your friendship? They don't all have to have the same structure, but there's a structure there. So I, I want to respond a little bit to, to all the levels of, of reality or whatever, right? So where, where my mind went is, is that you, you have levels of human development, right? So, so humans have different relationships with the world based on where they are in their development, right? And they all need to integrate, right? So, so I think spiral, spiral theory uh, talks about this, where, where, where there's all, all of these levels, right? But, but what, what's important is, is that they stay in contact. Right, like that that there's communication and then there, then there's lifting up as well right like so so john talks about the the sangha is 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 the new buddha right like like there there, there needs to be this structure that that is connecting these people on 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 these different levels so that they can lift other people up right like i, I think that that might be the definition of love right like cultivating the potential that is there and it, whether that's between humans or whether that's between humans and their environment is is irrelevant right like it's still the same pattern and still needs to happen it's care right right it's the True care. Care. and it and um you know i in catholic social teaching we call that the two things we call it subsidiarity and um solidarity so subsidiarity is that the, you know, some people just shorthanded government at the lowest level. It is the idea that, that, you know, you as much control as possible to the individual, to the family, to the neighborhood, you know, not, not imposing from the top and that the, and that the, that there's no need for a higher level of any structure unless the lower level needs for the higher level to be there. In other words, the higher level has to justify itself to the lower, not vice versa. That's, that's the principle of subsidiarity. And then the principle of solidarity is that at every level, there is a common project of betterment at every level. So, and so that's, um, you know, that's very similar to what you're saying. You know, that's just put into that that language. Well, guys, it is nearly we're nearly at an hour and a half. So um, so I think this has been great and that we might want to break here and mull, mull stuff over and see if we want to get back together again at some point or bring somebody else in um, to a conversation. There are some really, I'm getting some communication from some people. Um, one, Nathaniel Heil has been giving comments under my videos that are just, he's just got, like, he's got quite a brain on him. I'd like to talk to him at some point. And then um, there's somebody else that Paul has put me in contact with who has some ideas about the, about the four Ps as applying to different different things kind of like when you were talking about the proposition is about a thing he's got some thoughts that are similar to that so i'm probably gonna talk to him um and then you know we can get back together we can keep you know mulling it over um but it's been a pleasure as always <laughs>
Yeah, this is great. Wrap, I can't say anything to wrap things up. Yeah, I can't wait to see uh, what John's comment is on this particular video. If he if he has some breakthrough from your last video and from the narrative part, and then, you know, I would just add that you know, I think if if John goes back to the first video and adds in the our concept of a way of knowing as parabolic, just if he can do that maybe it'll bridge the gap for him because the whole time you were talking in that first talk, I was like, the parabolic fixes all this, the parabolic fixes all this, right? This this narrative story yeah. thing, right? So so it would be interesting to see what comes of this. And, and as always, Mary, it's a pleasure to talk to you. And I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, well, thank you. And um, likewise, I, I think John is very, John is quite allergic to the word parabolic because, um, because it's, uh, he, he sees it as an, uh, an ambiguous um, term and he's, but he might be willing to offer another, um, and he has suggested another, another term for it, but he's, I don't know if he's ready to, um, you know, ready to talk about it publicly, but, um, but he is listening and he is, I, I mean, I think he's just been extraordinarily generous with with all of us huh? it's just been fantastic so i really you know i really appreciate it and if it wasn't for him i wouldn't have met you great guys so <laughs> it's all yeah. it's all good i mean here i am a grandmother in georgia and i've got all these um young handsome men talking to me online <laughs> <laughs> you know? well that's what um, you do it for it's right? a lot of fun <laughs> <laughs> all right so um so did you want to say anything, Manuel, to close us out? Well, yeah, like like obviously, right? Like we're really grateful for John and, and like he, he's been the impetus behind the Discord and maybe we can link the Discord even in the description. That would be great. And uh, yeah, like uh, I think it was a great conversation. I think it's going to be really helpful for people to understand more. And uh, yeah, thanks for hosting it. Okay. Well, blessings, guys. We'll until we get together again. All right. Take care. See you. Bye. Bye.